Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael like to debate and deliberate the Mount Rushmore a a variety of topics. Uh, But this week they have a challenger from the outside. It is a gentleman who uh, we are grateful that he listened to one episode of the podcast and made a suggestion as a topic. Uh, The gentleman is Vince Bagano. How are you, sir? Doing well. How are you, Jeff? Real good. Could you please tell us and the audience what was the topic that you suggested and tell us why you suggested it? Uh, the topic that uh, I suggested to you guys was the, the um, spirit of sports pantheon. Um, the top four, um, or the, I should say the Mount Rushmore of uh, athletes who could be successful in any era of their respective sport. Hey, that's a really cool topic. What inspired that? I imagine you're just a general sports fan, but was there something that kind of spurred on that question? Um, tell you the truth, I mean, when I listened to the uh, controversial wrestling angle uh, one, um, I I thought to myself, wow, and and uh, I know you guys are very well versed. I forgot specifically who was the uh, referee who who did that. Uh, which one of you, whether it was Richard or Michael? Um, but uh, I, I realized when I listened to it, there was one uh, that was missed completely, and it was the Brian Pillman angle where he pulled out the gun on Stone Cold. And um, and I say that because um, and again, I know all those angles that were discussed were great. But uh, I thought to myself, wow, I am debating without even talking to you guys. So, um, <laughs> you know, in spirit, in spirit of, in spirit of what was talked about, um, I was like, well, what, what a greater thing to dis- to debate as a guy than sports. And yeah. um, that was only validated a day after I suggested it to somebody else. I said, hey, you know, we're doing, I guess, on this podcast. And of course, he, my buddy, came at me with his four, and da 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 da. da and I'm like, wow, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> so yeah. uh, the flood, the floodgates are open, and uh, I'm glad to be part of the uh, the, the rush of sports uh you know sports talk here and all right cool well let's jump right into it um why don't we have you start out with your first choice of an athlete that uh could uh excel in any era of this athlete's respective sport okay well um i stuck to the four major ones um that you know that we know basketball baseball football hockey and um, to be frank with you, um, basketball is not my strong point, um, but there is one that specifically, one, one player specifically who stood out to me since he started playing, um, and that's LeBron James. Um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever, uh, me personally, have ever um, uh, um, bore witness to an athlete where um, maybe Tiger Woods, um, because it was expected that he was going to be the greatest. Um, but, uh, LeBron James, I remember he came to, uh, where I grew up in New Jersey, he came to a town Trenton to play their high school team. And, uh, my buddy, Tony, uh, he goes and says, Hey, I'm going to go take my son. We're going to see him. Um, I, I was hoping the next words out of his mouth were, you want to come with me, <laughs> but I, I couldn't, he didn't have, he didn't have tickets to a high school game. Imagine that <laughs> in New Jersey, <laughs> like, you know, wow. it's not a big deal. And, uh, he came back and uh, I, I thought he saw the second coming. And uh, somebody was telling me. And uh, in regards to basketball, yeah, probably. Um, there's too much of a, of a stats geek. I wish my brother was here uh, to run it all through. But um, just to be brief, in 1,258 regular season games, okay, at the age of 35, LeBron James is third all time on points list behind Carl Malone and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, to me, that's something that's easily going to be achievable. It's not even a question. Um, I'm a big consistency and versatility, okay? And just uh, some, and there's all kinds of, you find all kinds of numbers. You find what was the different errors in which he played um, in his own career? 
Um, his first run in Cleveland, his regular season stats, uh, 27.8 points per game, seven rebounds, seven assists. These are all averages. Um, playoffs, pretty much consistent. Uh, his heat era, 26.9, seven, about seven and a half, almost seven uh, assists, assists per game. Um, and then um, uh, almost seven assists per uh, uh, rebounds per game. So he's running like a 27-7 stat line, seven stat line, excuse me. Um, he goes back to Cleveland, does like a 26-8-8 stat line. And um, back here, his first season in Los Angeles, where he was even injured uh, the first season, I believe. And then he's still going, 26-8 and almost nine assists per game. Um, I mean, we can go on and on about him. Um, again, I'm not a numbers geek, um, but I look at a guy, like I said, who who is built, you know, essentially to play all five positions. Something that was brought to my attention by same friend of mine who uh, said, this, I think this guy can play anywhere on the court, and he can. Um, I don't know if he's ever been called to play center. I remember Magic Johnson was at one point uh, in his career. That kind of blew my mind, <laughs> the idea of Magic sure. Johnson playing center. Yeah, the um, uh, 81, uh, 81 uh, NBA Finals against the uh, okay. 76ers, yeah. Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, I guess you can say he, he he actually has played the position. But just when I look at a guy like LeBron and can, can kind of like in, in, encapsulating, um, he, to me, he's a guy who can play all five positions, um, you know, to, just built to last. Um, I can see Zion Williamson becoming that guy, you know, in this next era. So these guys, what do they come around about every 15 or 20 years um, who can come in and pretty much play all five positions and dominate with a consistent stat line with the expectation of greatness? <laughs> So um, to me, um, you put him back in any era, I could see him dominating, you know, the 70s, 80s, you know, the Jordan era easily. Um, and so I give it up to you guys. I love the idea of uh, him excelling in the 1950s or, or, or 40s. I don't know when, when did Dr. Naismith create the game, but uh, the idea of uh, tossing, uh, tossing a leather ball up in a peach basket and just killing it. <laughs> that sounds pretty awesome. Was the game, uh, was there any contemporary athlete who could not have ha handled the rigors of the game in its inception? Is there something about the game as it was uh, uh, many years ago in its inception that you think a contemporary athlete wouldn't be well suited for? I mean, I, I, my, my question is, can he, you know, put the ball in the basket granny style consistently? Yeah. <laughs> like before, before they started shooting overhand, before they started, you know, doing jump shots. Even yeah, do they have a set, does he have a set shot? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can he just stand there and just do the one, two, three underhand, and then it's in the basket? Yeah. And after the training table meal of uh, a bowl of chili and some codeine or something, whatever they, they... and a ha half a Jeez. half a pack of Marlboros, Chesterfields. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the one thing about I LeBron can't wait is we get to baseball. I'm gonna call. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> the one thing oh, about LeBron William James on, on the uh, Roto World anyway sorry <laughs> no it's okay um, with LeBron you know he is involved in so many endeavors you know in his um, uh, kind of personal business life that that very much harkens back to a guy that played basketball part time and then ran a car dealership or also worked at the factory so you know yeah. in theory he could have done multiple he does do multiple jobs just like the guys did back in the um in the 50s and 60s where it was just kind of a part-time thing yeah okay well that's a great vince thank you so much a for suggesting this topic b getting on our podcast and uh, c coming out strong with that first choice of the king king james um so uh richard manfredi or michael winfield uh you gotta respond in kind. I guess I can go first, Michael, if that's okay. Sure. Why don't you stay in basketball at least? Well, stay in the basketball. Stay in my free throw lane here. Yeah. 
and uh, I'm 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 going with a Kansas Jayhawk. Whoa! One uh, one that is not Jeff Hopkins, although I do oh, not no. know I do not know what your basketball <laughs> skills are. Is this um, a Wilt Chamberlain? This is, is this Mr. A... Wilt the Stilt. Mr. The Stilt. Cool. The big the Big Dipper. Right Wilt on. Chamberlain. Yeah, I, I, he was. I think when I think when Michael and I were looking at this topic, we were definitely thinking of, of players from past generations who I think would be able to play in the modern game. And I don't know that there's anyone in kind of basketball history post pre-modern era that is more suited to be able to play in today's game than Wilt Chamberlain. He was seven foot one and 275 pounds, but he moved like a power forward, um, could play defense, could play offense, could run. Um, they actually had to change basketball laws because of him. And in, in, the, in college basketball, they made the dunk illegal because he was so adept at dunking the basketball that it was almost impossible to stop him. They also had to stop him from just throwing the ball at the back at the backboard for a free throw and then just running and grabbing it and throwing it in because that was his one flaw was he wasn't a great free throw shooter. But I think in today's game, he can still work around that. I mean, the man averaged... 30 points and 20 rebounds. He was the only player in NBA history to do that. And he did that uh, seven times in his career. In fact, he actually averaged 30 points and 20 rebounds for his entire career. And he, no one else has done that even once in a season. So I think that, you know, on on top of that, look, if you can sleep with 20,000 women, in 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 the in the sixties, you're you're gonna be fine with whatever modern day you know group, groupies are throwing at you. And I, I if I can be serious for a second, I've always I always kind of thought that's probably the in a lot of ways the worst thing that happened to Wilt Chamberlain's legacy, just as a basketball player. Obviously legacy is other things that's different. But unfortunately, as soon as I mentioned Wilt Chamberlain some you guys listening out there knew I was going to make a he had slept with 20,000 women joke. And I think it just takes away from what a amazing athlete he was and how much he was just different than the other basketball players of his era. His, his athletic ability for his size was something that we just had never seen from big men before. So he absolutely could go against, you know, whatever your modern day center that you want to compare him against today. He would have been, would have been dominant. Mm-hmm. That's a cool, cool choice. Uh, not just because I'm a Rock Chalk Jayhawk uh, KU uh, alumnus. Um, it does seem like Wilt uh, himself does kind of bridge the old game and the new game, or kind of a, the image of modernity, the the contemporary athlete emerging, and uh, almost like somebody who was already in the NBA, even in the college game. It felt felt like. Yeah, in the 60s, he, when you watch some of those old game films of him in the 60s, it just looks like a player from a different era. It lo- lo- looks like somebody from like the 80s got dropped in yeah. to a 60s game, and the players from the 60s have no fucking idea how to cope with mm-hmm. it. They're mm-hmm. just, it's just chaos yeah. trying to deal with them. Yeah. All right, uh, Vince, what is your second choice, sir? Well, my dad's a diehard Giants fan. And so the idea of suggesting Ray Lewis is the greatest, you know, is like suggesting, you know, giving your dog a salad for dinner. So it didn't go over too well initially. Um, 
but uh, he respected where I came from. It just cost me about eight minutes of my life um, <laughs> listening to him talk about the greatness of Lawrence Taylor. And um, I love you, Dad, but, you know. Um, but anyway, um, as far as, uh, as I was getting into the stats, um, just to eight career games, um, about 2,050 tackles, had a 41.45 sacks, 19 forced fumbles, 19 fumble recoveries, 31 interceptions, and um, a stat that always gets me as an old linebacker, pass deflections, 119. He played the, the idea of a traditional linebacker, a tight end, I shouldn't say before, you know, like when Gronk came in, I was like, what, 2010, you know, before that, uh, other guys came in, you know, and I think of tight ends, the, the way that tight ends would be covered. But, uh, but ultimately, a traditional middle linebacker. And to me, the thing that always captured me about his style of play was he was just a clean tackler. Um, I say clean, not so much when he would, you know, rip a guy's head off, you know, right. you know playing him. I remember remember his MO was, uh, I think it was against San, a guy in San Francisco, or it might have been Tampa, where he tackles the guy and goes, uh, you can't stop me, I'm a machine jerk. And I think from that <laughs> moment on, as, as a human being, I was just, you know, the idea of playing him would be, you know, like if you were going to get drafted, you know, in the NFL, what team am I going to? Oh, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Like, oh, God, I got to play Ray Lewis twice a year. You know, like, just that, that, sort of, that sort of ideology. And granted, Lawrence Taylor carried that. But um, in spirit of talking about Ray Lewis, um, uh, I can get, I mean, j- just a few. And I don't know how, how far you guys have watched football necessarily. I assume, you know, I know, Jeff, you've talked about, you know, not being a big sports guy. But, but to give you perspective, if you look up uh, Darren Sproul's Ray Lewis, um, it was a fourth and two week three of the 20, I want to say 2010 or something like season or 20, 2009 season where um, uh, he on fourth and two uh, Sproles gets the ball and Ray Lewis just jacks him up the middle with a clean shot. Um, and the uh, keynote, one of the keynote interceptions of his career where um, he, uh, you know, Eddie George catches the ball in the flat and he just essentially steals it from him and it runs it back. And that cements their trip to Super Bowl 35. Um, and granted, other players have had other highlights too. But the main, the, the 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 main fixed point that I feel that Ray Lewis would allow Ray Lewis to succeed in any era is that he played a traditional three-four middle linebacker, and just his his style of tackling, his ability to go side to sideline to sideline, and play the game that way. Um, you know, especially how the game is played now with more much more open space up the middle, um, would almost give him free reign versus other. We'll say you might say a pass rusher. Um, who, you know, with the way penalties are called now, especially on quarterbacks, um, you know, there is not as much le- uh, a leeway or wiggle room. You know, <laughs> you know, sometimes you see calls and you just grab your head. You're like, oh, my God, I can't believe the ref called that. Um, that's just my, you know, again, my perspective on, uh, you know, <laughs> who I feel is would fit in any era of football. So. Hey, cool choice. Gentlemen, do you have any uh, response? <clears throat> Yeah, no, I like this pick. I, I mean, I think that the like the Lawrence Taylor versus Ray Lewis debate is is a very valid one. You know, I certainly, I think physically, Lawrence Taylor would have been able to play in this era. There's no question about that. All of the physical mm-hmm. attributes are there. Um, you know, is there a need for a linebacker who kind of lines up as a as a down lineman? Maybe not as much in today's era as they there is for a middle linebacker. And also, also. Ray Lewis would murder somebody in any era. Let's let's keep that in mind. <laughs> Jesus. Murder is murder is murder. I mean, I'm sorry. I'll be an accomplice to murder. Let's okay. Allegedly. <laughs> Alleged. 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 Uh, so, guys, uh, let us know your second choice. Uh, our second choice is um, uh, when I was thinking of this, I was thinking uh, going 
backwards mostly like who was a more recent player that could have played um you know back in the day and i thought well how far back do you want to go so i thought of baseball and i thought who would have been the player that would have dominated in the current era and then 20 years ago and then from the 1890s and then i thought randy johnson uh mlb pitcher uh known as a big unit because he was 610 and um killed birds you know, while he was pitching. <laughs> unlike Ray um, Lewis. Unlike Ray Lewis, there's no doubt about this one. Yeah, he, he owned up to it. <laughs> you know, he went over 300 games and pitched a perfect game and a no-hitter and was a World Series uh, MVP champion and, um, you know, had a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Pitched for 22 years and, like, just had, like, a great mustache. And I figured, like, if he was playing in, like, the 1890s, he would have, like, a great mustache then, too. And I think that was just what you kind of looked for. You looked for this guy that was just this massive presence that threw as fast and as hard as anybody. And then maybe also doubled like in the freak show in the off season, you know, in the winter months, he traveled with the circus. <laughs> like, I think he would have fit right in um, no matter, you know, dead ball era or um, present day. And I think he, I think he's one of those, kind of you know for being so dominant i think he's kind of underrated for being how good he was like i think everyone is so quick to kind of look to see who the most current best baseball player is that they forget this guy that you know pitched for 20 years and was like amazing for 20 years like it wasn't like he had like you know maybe his last year he kind of lost some stuff with the giants but um I don't know. I think he's, I think he is a guy that would have been um, amazing no matter, literally no matter what year he played or, you know, whether they were wearing uh, knee socks or not. Michael, to your point, um, you know, you talk about like uh, the lore, you know, the lore of a player, like to me, baseball is, uh, you know, these like conglomeration of stories and, and that lore of Randy Johnson growing up back East, we always heard about him, didn't see too much until he came to the Yankees. Um, but uh, the, if you remember the All-Star game, I think it was 96, I'm probably off, but when he threw against John Cruck and almost took his head off, and uh, that was a complete accident. They both looked at each other like, oh, no problem. And then the next swing, John Cruck, <laughs> he does like a spin a three three seven twenty or whatever, and he swings, and he's just like, oh, get me the hell out of here. You know, <laughs> you know <laughs> the idea of go. I mean, the idea of going up against Randy Johnson in an All-Star game could be hazardous to your health, let alone a real game. So uh, very good choice. I agree with the idea of a six foot ten guy with a big mustache just the idea of going up and going up against him like oh god i guess like wrestling the legion of doom you know yeah. like oh great i gotta I got, I got deal with these guys tonight and get my ass kicked he kind so. of just looked like a big mean son of a bitch too and just like that's just appreciated in baseball no matter you know whether it's the 60s or the 40s or the 20s or you know when they first invented it so yeah agree yeah he does he does seem like a guy who a uh a a comic artist could make a good baseball ca cartoon out of like a caricature, like a caricature. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, it's funny. You say, you say cartoon. I just watched, uh, there was a ZZ top documentary on uh, Netflix and oh, yeah, uh, great, Billy, yeah. Billy Bob, Billy Bob Thornton, I forget the name off the top of my head, but Billy Bob Thornton talked about, um, uh, he's like, man, it's kind of like if ZZ top rolled up into your neighborhood, it'd be like, it'd be like if Bugs Bunny, you know, showed up. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, when you think of yeah. baseball and characters, like if the Bugs Bunny correlation could be anybody, it would probably be Randy Johnson. I totally yeah. agree with you. Like, you know, hey, what's up, Doc? And I'm going to just strike you out and you know, get, all, get a you know, combination of that and Kowalski, get off my lawn. 
Yeah. Plus, yeah, plus he had the 100-mile-per-hour fastball, plus that one pitch that kind of just looped over and over, so they swung at it three times in the one pitch. Yeah. Just like Bugs Bunny. It was the exact same pitch. <laughs> I never thought yeah. of that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I, forgot, I forgot Bugs didn't I, play baseball. For a I could see a, a sports agent back then thinking, I can make a lot of money from the mustache wax or snuff uh, distributors of America. <laughs> With this guy sponsoring, but I got a great, I got a great iodine sponsorship for you, Randy. Uh, okay, so we are at our halftime, uh, and this is such a fun topic, and I'm excited to get to the second uh, half. But want to take this moment to invite uh, whoever's ears are uh, receiving this podcast on whatever platform to join us in our social media discussions that happen out on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Others have, and they are currently on this podcast. Uh, Vince Pagano reached out and uh, commented and made a suggestion, and now he's talking with us. And it's been a lot of fun to actually get in dialogue with some of our uh, listeners in real time. So please go out there and uh, suggest a topic. If you download, rate, and review and listen to past episodes, you could evaluate them and determine which argument we should have made that we didn't. So that's another reason to go back and listen to some past episodes. We really appreciate it. And I think with that, we're going to get back into our third round of the Mount Rushmore of athletes who could have excelled in any era of their sport with Vince Pagano's third choice. <clears throat> okay. Um, well, thank you, Jeff. And again, thank you for having me guys uh, as well. Um, the third choice that, um, that came to be here, um, was to me was the easiest for me. Um, I say that with confidence because uh, it's been approved by everybody I've mentioned it to before I got here. So validation's fun. Um, but it was, uh, um, you might know him, he's, he's an Oakland athletic, but it's not Maguire or Canseco. Um, he's an, he was an athletic, a Yankee, a, a Dodger, a Met. Um, I think he played for, um, uh, you know, the Albuquerque isotopes, um, Ricky <laughs> Henderson, <laughs> um, Ricky Henderson of uh, the modern baseball era. Um, you talk about, again, t talk about a character. I'm sorry, you're going to say something. <laughs> I was just going to say the greatest leadoff hitter of all time. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a big believer in um, versatility and efficiency. I'm five foot eight, 180 pounds. If I'm lucky, um, I'm grateful to be 180 pounds. Um, and so the idea of, uh, of the greatest leadoff hitter in history, you know, kind of in that range, um, uh, you know, he, he wasn't the biggest guy, um, but he can move. Um, and, uh, I never played ball um, the way, you know, I never played in high school or anything like that. But if I was going to play baseball like anybody to me, um, you know, it would be like Rick Anderson. Um, 1,406 stolen bases. Um, and next in line from there is Lou Brock. And uh, Lou Brock had 938. Um, I know today's modern baseball game, you know, there's not as many steals or steal attempts. You know, it's not as big of a thing or it was even frowned upon. But I still see guys like, you know, like Billy Hamilton and other guys try to steal bases. Um, to me, Ricky don't, Henderson. Don't, don't, don't drown out Juan Pierre, please. Oh, I forgot about him. And then Jose Reyes. And so, so um, <laughs> um, and all those guys <laughs> all put together. But uh, to me, the, the, the idea of, of a guy who could take a um, three, to, three and two count and turn it into a run. Um, I know there's so many statistics and I'm, I'm not going to start rattling them off because I, I don't do well with numbers, but I do do well with what I see and what I saw growing up because those games were actually televised, those A's games uh, by me, um, when they played the Yankees, when they played other teams. Um, it was amazing. I mean, you know, time stopped on my block, you know, when Ricky Henderson was on TV. Um, the stats can tell you so many things, the idea of steals, but also the thing, um, being a guy who played left field when I did play and I played, you know, like 
rec league softball recently, um, left field. Um, you know, it could be a real pain in the, pain in the butt, you know, with all the right-handed power hitters and guys wanting to kill it. Um, there's one statistic defensively that, that really popped out at me was uh, putouts um, as a left fielder. Um, the all-time leader is Barry Bonds, 5,225. Next is Ricky Henderson, 5,215. And the guy below him is a guy named Zach Wheat, who I don't know. Um, maybe he's in a rock band, but uh, 4,990. <laughs> so roughly, you know, a few hundred more, you know. And then the next guy is Luis Gonzalez, 4,442. So there's a massive amount of separation between Ricky Henderson and a whole lot of other guys with putouts. Um, so to say he was fast would be an understatement. Um, again, you know, we could talk about metrics and stuff like that. But um, some things that always captured me about him was just how, again, in that spirit of that Bugs Bunny cartoon character, as kind of lore, um, he had some funny quotes. Um, one of the stories was he used to kill everybody playing poker on the road. Um, and he would do that by counting cards. And uh, one of his quotes was, um, I think playing cards gave me the opportunity to relax in the game. So uh, I know that I started playing poker late in life then. <laughs> um, so um, one of the, one of the uh, and I'll leave it with this, where um, uh, when he got his first place in New York, when he played against the Yankees, um, I don't know if you heard this story, where he goes, um, uh, you know, I got a, I got a new place. I forgot who he said it to, but he goes, uh, it's, I can see over at the, uh, at the entire state building. That's a true story. <laughs> the entire state building. <laughs> the entire state building. But yet I, I say that because he acknowledged he wasn't always the smartest guy, but I disagree. I think he's one of the smartest guys to ever play the game because of his efficiency to just get on base and steal. And I know I said I'd lay off the stats, but, um, the, I think it was 1990 in, uh, they, they, there was uh, when he or when he had his 130 stolen bases. I forgot whatever year that was. Um, that same year, he stole third base 30. I think it was up to a certain point, like August 1st. He had stolen 30 third base 32 times or 33 times. Uh, the Minnesota Twins team at that point had 32 stolen bases collectively as a team. Oh wow! So so yeah, I mean you know again. I disagree. I think he's one of the smartest guys to ever play the game, one of the most efficient guys, and one of the most versatile guys to ever play the game and to play the game for 25 years at a high level from A's to Dodgers and everything in between. I, I just think he's probably, you know, drop him in any era. He's good to go. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you just kind of described him almost as the opposite of Randy Johnson, not a, <laughs> uh, not a, a, you know, like the strong man at a circus sideshow, but uh, this kind of stealthy average average athletic very athletic person he's he is the screwsman that goes in and makes the impressions the wax impressions of the keys to get into (laughs) just break into break into the 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 hangman's box and yeah and then make off with the robbery yeah yeah Yeah, uh, ricky henderson once uh fell asleep with an ice pack on his foot and wound up getting wound up getting frostbite and missing three games Wow. Oh, wow. I, I, I <laughs> the stories continue. <laughs> I bring this up because I would have personally loved to see a 50s or 40s or whatever era manager have to be told that your star left fielder has frostbite and can't play. <laughs> so just to be a fly on the wall in that conversation would have been yeah. fantastic. My favorite baseball conversation ever um, probably is uh, Jimmy Dugan talking to uh, Evelyn in League of Their Own. When he goes, uh, when he goes, Roger Hornsby, or my, my parents came down all the way from Michigan and Roger Hornsby, Hornsby called me a big pile of shit. And uh, like you said, I can imagine the conversation what that would have been. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, uh, guys, uh, boy, Vince sure has some great choices. What do you got for your third? All right. So our third choice, and 
I know Vince, <laughs> you're go, you're sticking with the big four sports. I am. I think with our one of our picks at least, we're going a little bit off the grid, not too far, um, but we're going with the greatest uh, soccer player slash Crestfield wax paper spokesperson of all time. And of course, I'm talking about Pele. Uh, Pele is the official uh, goal, goal scoring record holder. He scored in official and unofficial competition, 1,281 goals in 1,363 games. So he basically almost averaged a goal a game. Um, just a ridiculous, a ridiculous amount of goals. He won three World Cups with Brazil and probably would have won a fourth in 66 if he hadn't gotten injured. And I follow soccer. Right now there's the debate between Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi who's the greatest player of their generation. And it's amazing to me that you've got these two generational talents. And at no point does the conversation even start to go to, oh, are either of these two better than Pele? Because that's just not a conversation that's worth having. It's just automatically assumed that Pele is the gold standard for soccer players. And I think it's amazing that he did this in an era when they, they didn't have yellow cards and red cards for fouls. If you got fouled, it was just, all right, you get the ball right there and let's keep going. And it doesn't matter if your half of your leg got hacked off by somebody's shin. Nope, just keep on going. I mean, he, and he was fouled. There, if you go on YouTube, there is a video compilation of fouls against Pele. And guys are basically literally just kicking him in the shins as hard as they can and stomping on him and clotheslining him practically and just doing all of this, whatever physically they could do because he was just too quick and too skilled he was five foot eight but yet he was still one of the best headers of the ball in the world because he had such incredible hops and i just um, think rich richard i have i have, I have a, sorry to interrupt i have a quick question for you yeah absolutely um have the rules um outside of yellow cars and red cards have the rules of the game changed that much from uh when pele played to like uh to current uh, rules. Not this is something I'm. This is something that I'm like. I'm interested in because you know baseball is the same way. The rules really haven't changed in you know 150 years or 120 years. You know, aside from adding like game clocks and other nonsense. But like, um, you know, when someone can dominate in their time, and that was 60 years ago or 50 years ago, and then what it would be like today. I think that's that would be interesting. Do you think like, I guess everything that he would do would translate? I think everything he would do would absolutely translate. He was far and away the, the quickest player of his era. And I, I'm making a distinction between being fast, you know, what you would be able to measure in a 40 time versus being quick. And I think quickness is something that I think transcends errors more than pure straight line speed does. Like Ricky Henderson, who was just kind of quick. Yeah, exactly. And fast. Quick and he was quick and fast. Um, I think that in terms of the rules, some of the rules changed. Like I said, the the yellow cards and red cards made a big difference in cutting down on the egregious just fouling to try to hurt somebody essentially or slow them down. Um, you also are now allowed substitutes during the game. You're allowed three substitutes. Where back in Pele's day, you had to play the full ninety minutes every game, so there was no opportunity for him to play seventy minutes, be up four to one, and then they bring somebody else in to give him a rest for the final 20 minutes. No, he was, if you started, you were out there for 90 minutes and he played 
90 minutes every game, even when he was hurt. Very well known for his uh, playing through pain. Was there an era of soccer where passing was uh, determined to be statistically um, essential to scoring points? Uh, I, I remember listening to a podcast where they, some guy had determined that the, the best way to, to score was to just pass a lot until you get in, into, I mean, it seems kind of fundamental, but was Pele a kind of guy who would just kind of drive it himself into the goal? No, he was somebody who, who was definitely could drop back into the, from being a forward to back to the midfield to get the ball and then mm -hmm. make passes to, to help his teammates out. And that's something with those, with those Brazilian teams from the sixties that won all those world cups. Yeah. Um, they were the first team to really specialize in this, the quote unquote beautiful game versus just lobbing the ball 60 yards downfield and hoping somebody gets ahead on it or somebody's mm -hmm. able to get a foot on it. And that kind of model kind of, monotone sort of style of play where everyone just kicked the ball as far as they could and went to go see what, you know, if they could make something happen or if they got yeah. close to the goal. So absolutely, I think those Brazilian teams and Pele in particular were absolutely influential in, in what we consider to be modern soccer strategy. Mm -hmm. I think of him as uh, the very dynamic, charismatic character that I first met in the film Victory with Stallone and Michael Caine. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Caine trying to pretend to be a good soccer player was pretty pretty great, but uh, yeah, the that... British guy the British guy couldn't be as good of a soccer player as the American Stallone, who's yeah about five foot, <laughs> about five foot three trying to play goalie. Yeah, yeah, uh, fun choice, Pele. Um, all right, uh, this is passing the ball back to uh, Vince for your fourth and final selection of athletes who would have been uh, outstanding in their sport in any era. Okay. Um, thank you guys again. And, and I do appreciate you guys bringing up Pele. I did think of him, but I definitely don't know much about him. So it was good to learn. Um, the fourth one, though, I have to um, held to a different standard. Jerry, if you're watching, for listening to this, uh, you know, you'll love the pick. Um, it, um, I, I stick to hockey. I grew up playing the sport. Um, so I, if there's anything I should know, it's knowing hockey, especially when the era of this particular player played. Um, in the 1990 draft, um, he was taken fifth overall, and when he retired, he was the only one left in that class. Um, that would be Yarmir Yager, uh, right wing from the Czech Republic. Um, as uh, one of my buddies uh, out here, who I, a, buddy, a buddy of mine who I got to know, my buddy Michael, um, we used to joke around and call him, you know, the Czech Republic's, you know, he's their chosen son. Um, you know, the, the NHL has changed so much. I mean, it's just when I, since I've been alive. Um, let alone the errors prior and how, you know, if there's any sport, I think that has changed and grown. And when I say grown, I mean, the game has become more open. And, you know, as we see, especially the European influx that has come into the NHL, um, when that, when those floodgates opened up with, with uh, back in the um, early eighties um, with the Red Wings and such bringing, you know, allowing Russian, and when Russian players were able to come in, um, then the game really opened up. Uh, so Yammer Yager was taken fifth overall by the Pittsburgh Penguins back in 1990. Um, just some, some stuff about him, uh, career stats wise. Um, he has 766 goals, 1155 assists for assists for a total of 1921 points, second behind, uh, Gretzky. Um, of those goals, um, 135 of them are game winning goals. So almost 10% of the goal or roughly 8% of the goals he scored were game winning. Um, 15, 30 goal seasons four Art Ross scoring titles. And the list goes on. I can go on and on. The thing that always captured me about him, again, I, I, 
Dad, if you're listening, you get more props in this than I ever gave you. Um, I started working out when I was 12, Jeff, um, surprisingly. <laughs> um, I just haven't been consistent. And I remember being in the gym. Uh, we're, we're working out. And my dad showed me how to do squats. And I was, I was about 12 years old at the time going, yeah, 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 whatever. And he goes, you know who does a thousand of these a day? I said, who? He goes, Yamir Yager. And I thought to myself, well, if I did the math correctly, I'm 12. And if he started doing when he was seven at a thousand a day, um, I'm about a million and such behind. Um, so <laughs> I got some cashing up to do. <laughs> I don't think I've caught up since. I don't care how many you've seen me do, Jeff. Um, and so Yager, and he's got a lot of players about Yager. If you, if you look back into like, I think it's a Anatolisimov who um, invented what is now modern laid the groundwork for what is modern hockey training, you know, dry land, um, stuff that you and I have done, Jeff, for different kind of training. Oh, yeah. Um, you'll look into that. It's the same kind of thing that Yamir Yager does when he wants to. <laughs> um, I don't know about you guys. I got to get up and work in the morning. I'm going to work out at 1230, you know, and do 30-second uh, do, um, uh, sprints with a 35-pound vest on me. Um, but he does. And the running joke is that he was every, uh, every trainer's worst nightmare because the amount of uh, – the volume of training and the way he trained required 24 seven, uh, care, you know, and, um, I, I had the article up, but it was, uh, essentially some fun stuff where, uh, um, uh, most recently when he was in Calgary before he retired, but Florida, um, his trainer, um, he and his trainer, uh, would, would train at different hours, different times, uh, two a days when he went uh, game day, three a days when there was no game, uh, he would take an eight pound medicine ball and whack it against the wall with a hockey stick. Again, that's taking with his hockey stick, whacking an eight-pound medicine ball. I shoot a hockey puck and I feel winded. Um, <laughs> so so uh, things like that, you know, the Yager lore of all the, uh, um, of all the uh, different training and things he would do. Um, and I think all of that compounded into all the things that you can read about him and learn about him. But um, as far as dropping into any era, when I think of Bobby Orr, I think of a guy who I originally was going to pick. Um, he changed the game as far as how a defenseman plays. You know, the idea of coming into the ice – not liking what he sees comes back. Maybe there's a line change. Maybe there's a that definitely changed the game. But Bobby Orr played 10 seasons, two of them on bad legs. And the two of them were kind of sad at the end with, with Chicago. Um, so he didn't have that st um, fight off injuries. Um, but I think of the three years he played with Oscar, uh, Omska um, Avangard, I think is the team in the Czech Republic, where pretty much he put up the numbers that would have put him in the record books as the all-timer. Um, so he, from age 18 to 48, I mean, he was cranking, um, and, uh, only two more guys above the age of 45 ever played an NHL game. And that was, uh, Chris Chelios and Gordie Howe. So, uh, to say he's in good company would be an understatement, but, um, again, I mean, the, the groundwork's there as far as the training and his ability to sustain that longevity is why I would pick him as a, a guy you could drop into any era and uh, play the game of hockey. Well, that's a cool pick. Uh, you guys are... Richard or Michael, you guys hockey followers or fans? Yeah. To what extent? I yeah. dabble. Yeah. yeah. Do you think this uh, – so learning about his – do you think his training style came from the Czech Republic? Do you think it comes from this kind of very uh, – the very Spartan and very challenging climate or training conditions that one might encounter when they begin in that environment? Obviously, it's, he started – you said he, when he was seven years old. Does he seem like a product – of that upbringing and just kind of continued it even after he encountered uh, American hospitality and all that stuff? You know, I, I, when I think of Yarmir Yager, I think of some, I mean, I don't think of someone who is sort of like the East European, no personality type. I think he was, in my mind, one of the things I think about with him is he was one of the, the first 
Eastern European players to come into the NHL and really be, be like a popular figure within the sport and someone who was sort of beloved by fans around the sport and not just by whoever was on their own team. Mm-hmm. So on a, I think of someone mm-hmm. like Alexander Ovechkin today, and I, I look at Yarmir Yager and I see a, a direct parallel between the two. Yeah. And he's, uh, I, I don't know if you mentioned this or not, uh, the Triple Gold Club, Stanley Cup, Ice Hockey World Champions, and the Olympic Gold Medal. That's pretty mm-hmm. outstanding. Yeah, That's just uh, in spirit of, oh, sorry, Jeff, in spirit of what you were talking about, Richard, um, the one thing I don't know if you guys know about Yager um, is uh, the Yager Yagers, um, the guys who have been in different arenas. You see them if you look ever look them up on YouTube. Um, every time he switched a team, there was a running sign where it said, okay, now we need a new friend. And uh, it was the guys putting a mullet on, guys who would come to the rink. First, it was the Penguins, and I think it was the Capitals. And then it was the Rangers. And then uh, I think I might have missed the team, but the Flyers and then the Devils. He pretty much played for every Eastern Conference team. But um, the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, Yager, the Yagers, you know, guys wearing 68 with the mullets would be in the crowd. And uh, to, your, to, your, to your point, he has, uh, you know, he laid the, the, the framework for, like, the guy who came from not America and, popular, and, and became popular here and that, in turn, you know, turned a whole generation North American kids onto hockey, um, present company included. So it, it, despite the longevity of his career, did you say he played 30 years? How long did he? Um, I believe he played 20, 20 years and change. Oh, well, he's, 20 years and change. He is still playing, by the way, at 48 in the Czech yeah, Republic. Yeah, for his uh, the, wow. uh, um, team that Howden. he owns. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a guy that hates his personal life. <laughs> he doesn't want to be teammates. at home. He doesn't want to be at home. His kids, his kids, well, he could do without. I think he's got a little bit of a gambling uh, challenge in his life too. So probably he's probably better to stay on the ice. That guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. So uh, guys, I don't know. One more round to try to catch up to um, um, the excellent choices from our guest Vincent Pagano, uh, Michael, and Richard. What do you have? Okay. I I think going back to kind of my my entire thought process was this is I wanted a guy uh, or an athlete. Uh, well, it's a guy. I mean, I'm just going to flat out say it, uh, who played a sport where the sport really hasn't changed much. And I guess that's why I was interested in Richard's choice of um, Pele. And it was, you know, kind of interested in Randy Johnson. Um, but I thought of track and field and I thought of the Olympics and especially like the modern Olympics and Carl Lewis um, was just a uh, a track star and was so uh, dominant, but dominant with that sort of modern era, not quite flamboyance, but arrogance. Um, I think a, a lot of us have watched like that um, uh, Michael Jordan documentary recently, and he just knew that he was the best. And I think Carl Lewis had that same sort of feeling that he knew that he was the best while he was out there. Um, but you know, nine Olympic gold medals, um, gold medals in the long jump, back to back to back, in the 100 meter, in the relay, in the 200 meter. Uh, he was just like this phenomenal athlete that, you know, if you were to plunk him down into any era of running or long jump or all the other different track and field events that he participated in, whether it's in the first Olympic Games or any anywhere throughout the years of just being an athlete and runner, uh, I think he would have been phenomenal. I mean, I was reading about him, and in 1984, he was drafted by the Bulls. Same year they drafted Michael, and also drafted by the um, 
Dallas Cowboys in this seventh round. And that just goes to show that people were just willing to like uh, take, take a flyer on and be like, hey, maybe he'll come play for us. Maybe he'll just be this tremendous athlete and we can plug him in and do something with him, even though he really didn't play basketball, even though he didn't play football. They're just like, let's just get this incredible athlete on our team. Um, and I think that's just such a – I think that's a strange thing that a professional sports team would do. But then when you see – you know, how good he was as an athlete. I think that speaks to it. Um, also named sportsman of the century. So, you know, that's a hundred years where they wow. sports illustrated considered him. Uh, he was maybe, maybe the best at his thing for, of anybody in the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The, uh, Ath- Olympics from 79 to 90. No, his career span from 79 to 96, one of only three Olympic athletes who won a gold medal in the same individual event in four consecutive Olympic games. It's amazing. A quarter century nearly of being. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd thought of like, you know, Michael Phelps, who just feels like he feels like more. He was like kind of freak of nature, born into it, whatever his body and training and everything. It seems like this guy's just such a one off. But Carl Lewis felt like more of a pure athlete all around um you know he survived the whole um uh what was his name who was the canadian richard uh ben, ben johnson yeah he kind of survived that whole ben johnson losing to ben johnson and then kind of being uh kind of vindicated when ben johnson was um tested positive for steroids or some sort of uh doping mm-hmm. um although i guess i read that he might have um dabbled himself but who knows Hmm. Oh, that's a really fun uh, choice. Um, although he was born in, I think, Alabama, he feels like a very L.A. kind of athlete. There's something very flashy in showbiz. Yeah, I, think there's, the I think there's something. I think there's something that, re- yeah, something that really comes out of um, just that whole like 1984 Olympics, like the L.A. Olympics, really kind of codified. I think a lot of people's images of like famous athletes, like 1984, the mid 80s in Los Angeles, you know, just so. Uh, kind of decadent with a John Williams fanfare. And um, I don't know. I think that was a very glamorous time. So I would understand that you think he might, might be. Yeah. I guess I, I guess I, I remember him either being parodied on SNL or being, um, uh, I think a creative Eddie Murphy might've done a comedic scenario about him in a stand up <laughs> routine or something like that. So yeah, I think his flash and confidence. I also remember the first time even hearing the uh, concept of positive mental outlook or, or positive imaging, hearing Carl Lewis say, I ran the race already in my mind. Each step mm. of the race, I ran and I won. So the race itself was just ap- academic after that because mentally I had such a positive outlook about it and I, his mental preparedness was... Um, uh, something he espoused and um, gave credit to for some of his athletic success. And that's that's one of the first times I'd ever even heard that concept in any milieu, much less athletics. This- you know, I keep, I keep going back and thinking of um, Vince's first pick with LeBron James, and he feels like the only athlete on this list that could have played every sport we've been talking about. If he is like a person that would have dedicated himself as he did to basketball, 
I, it feels like he would have been an amazing football player or he would have been like an amazing baseball player or an amazing soccer player. Like he's the one athlete that feels like, oh, he could have done literally everything on this list. I mean, can you imagine a six foot eight LeBron James as like NFL a sprinter? Power yeah, or whatever. Uh, just being like the fastest in yeah. every possible category as long as he had committed to it. It seems like he's the only one that was possible for. Richard, wow. I do have one oh one question for you, Richard. Would you how would you say Carl Lewis compares to Jesse Owens? If you um, I don't know if you went that far into it, but I don't know. That's tough. Um you know, I think I think I think personality wise, they probably couldn't be more different. Right, good point. Um you know, but but performance wise, and I think, you know, Carl Lewis did it over a period of what, from eighty four until you know, Even before that, 1980 uh, or so. Yeah, so he was. He, I mean, he was at least he was running, uh, you know, track events and whatever. Yeah, right. he did. You know, he he won gold medal in 1996 in the long okay. jump. So I mean, his longevity, I think, is something that 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 Jesse Owens did not have necessarily. Right. I no, think no, that's I another interesting that. thing about kind of a lot of our choices is they're all long they've all been players who have played their sport for a long time be it um yager who's been in hockey for 30 years or wilt chamberlain who played from the 50s until the 70s these are all like 20 year plus professionals i'm sure lebron's gonna make it that far and all these people have just like endured and been in their sport for a long time and i think that speaks to the character of their um of their role as a sportsman is that not only have they dominated in their time, they probably dominated through different periods within their time, whether it was, mm-hmm. you know, for, I don't know how long a particular era of a sport is, but um, whether it's 10 years, some of these people have played in two or three different eras of their particular sport. And I think that is what is probably the most impressive is that they've been able to adapt and change. Hey guys, lots of great chat. Thank you so much uh, for debating and deliberating the Mount Rushmore of athletes who would have excelled in any era of their sport. And um, I, I want to say that even though there's a tradition that the visitors uh, come on the field and sometimes or often win against the home team, it is not a shallow um, exercise, a perfunctory um, um, exercise. It's something that the visitor has to earn. And our buddy Vince Pagano sure earned it. He had some really great choices. So um, I am going to choose now the choices that will go up on the Mount Rushmore for this. I want to start with Yarmir Jaeger because I'd never heard the name before. And he seems like such a wonderful, <laughs> colorful figure um, that uh, was really, really dynamic and really interesting and almost could go up with the second choice, Ricky Henderson, um, in just kind of outsized persona and interesting uh, personality. Um, but then as far as a big persona goes, I would love to choose Randy Johnson from uh, Richard and Michael um, because he's such a dynamic character. And you know what? It's going to be a tie. It's going to be a tie because I can't not pick Wilt Chamberlain because I'm a Jayhawk uh, at heart. And so, um, Vince, you've come in and tied against these guys. So I really no, appreciate you doing it. I hate to I hate to correct your um, your scoring, Jeff, but um, Vince still won. 
his his back his back end picks. He picked up seven points to our three points. So, oh hey, there you go. All right, when th- well, thanks a little. I didn't receive the scoring chart beforehand, so I I don't know how that is, but I'll have to <laughs> I'll have to get a copy of the card and you know maybe frame it like Ricky Henderson framed his million dollar check. <laughs> you, you um, did. You- I'm you sure did, you heard about that. Yeah, you did well with the Russian judges. That was the most important. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they graded you highly. When it came to track, I felt like Sergeant Schultz, like I know nothing. So um, I know nothing. I, I, know I do nothing. appreciate the education on the uh, on the Carl Lewis, who I think should be on, on there as well. The, the, the actual Mount Rushmore for the guy that was uh, the athlete of the century, was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and by far, I mean, that has to go up there uh, out of principle. Yeah. But again, I'm a man of principles. But it's your list, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, uh, Vince Pagano. Really appreciate you, A, listening, B, make a suggestion, and C, coming on to the podcast to give your choices for that suggestion. So thanks so much. Here's our wrap-up. This has been the Mount Rushmore Show podcast. My name is always Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. 